Good morning, saints at Sycamore. So great to be with you on this Lord's Day. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is the word of the Lord for us today. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you promised that when your word goes forth, it would go forth and bear fruit. Lord, bear spiritual fruit in us of repentance and faith. Show us the glory that is ours in Christ, Holy Spirit. Father, reveal your glory to us. Help us to cling to you, to hold on to Jesus in faith. Lord, change us into the image of Christ. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Please be seated. A few years ago, more years ago than I would care to admit, I participated in a duathlon here in Richmond. In case you don't know a duathlon, it's like a triathlon, except for people who don't want to drown. <laughs> it's running, and then biking, and then more running. I hadn't done anything like this before. I wanted some exercise, I wanted a challenge. I signed up for it, knowing that I needed help. So I reached out and I got help. I signed up with a, with a training team from Sportsbackers. And I did this training. Um, and it turned out I needed even more help than I realized because I couldn't even run correctly. You would think that, I, I, that, that but, you know, by the time I got to that age, I'd be able to know how to run, but nope. I, couldn't, I, I wasn't even running right. I was running kind of hunched over. I was staring at the ground. I was kind of sloughing along. Um, I was running like a guy who wanted to be at home on the couch because that's exactly what I was. I was in misery running. Well, the trainer said something very interesting to me. He said, I want you to imagine a rope connected to your chest, pulling you forward as you run. I thought, well, that's a little strange, but I'll give it a try. And sure enough, it helped. When I was imagining that rope, pulling me forward, I ran straighter 
my chest was forward, my head was up, my eyes were looking at where I was going instead of looking at the ground, and also my mind lifted. I was thinking about the outcome of the race instead of thinking about my couch. <laughs> my strides were more purposeful, they were more determined. I had more endurance for what I was doing. There was only one problem. I had to keep imagining that rope because there was no rope. It was just an inspiring idea, something that the trainer told me so that more of my own energy could be summoned for the task that I had, right? Well, church, we have something better than just an inspiring idea. We have a living, resurrected Savior. Through him, we are inseparably connected to the love of God. It is his energy drawing us forward to the glory that we are bound to in him. It is him that keeps us going. Nothing inside you can change the forgiveness that God declares about you. And nothing outside you can steal the victory that God shares with you. Because Jesus rose, nothing can separate us from God's redeeming love. That's what we're talking about here in Romans 8 today. Now today's passage, I know we're jumping in the middle of a book, it sits exactly halfway through the book of Romans, exactly the halfway point. For Paul, this is the emotional and rhetorical climax for everything that he's written up to this point. He's told us so far about mankind's state of sin and rebellion against God. Everyone on the planet is in a state of rebellion against God, Paul tells us. God's righteous wrath is revealed against everyone because of that rebellion. And Paul tells us we are helpless, utterly helpless to get right with God on our own. Paul has told us about the sacrifice of Jesus for sin, how Jesus has taken the punishment, and how faith, faith alone, it's the only way for his sacrifice to count for me and for you, to atone for our sins, to, to, to bring us into a place where we have peace with God. It is only by faith, Paul tells us. Paul has told us about salvation in Christ means you're no longer under the dominion of death and sin, but you are now alive to God in the Spirit, and the Spirit helps you walk in new life and fulfillment. Paul also told us about how the same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead will now give life to our mortal bodies when he returns. And all creation is liberated from its bondage. Paul has taken his time, over eight chapters, to spell out and explain these truths in great detail and exhaustiveness, and now he is just brimming over with excitement about it all. He is so excited. He, he, he invites us to dive into this and not just to nod our heads, but to sing and to clap and rejoice about the great truths that are ours in Christ. He wants us to rejoice in what God has done for us in Christ and what it means for us right now. Some Bible scholars think that in this passage, the passage that we just read, maybe he's even shifted out of just writing pro, um, prose and into poetry. He's no longer writing a letter maybe, but he's singing. He's singing a song, he's so excited. Paul is enraptured with God's love 
and he wants us to be enraptured too. One remarkable thing about this chapter for all you Bible trivia fans out there, impress your friends with this knowledge. This chapter of Romans contains absolutely zero imperative verbs. Zero imperative verbs. That means there are no commands, no directives in this entire chapter, chapter eight. Paul doesn't have commands to give us. He wants us to simply stand in awe of the work of God in Christ, to simply worship the risen Jesus for what he has done and to know deeply now that nothing can separate us from God's redeeming love. Now Paul comes at this from two directions in this passage. It's the two bullet points that are in your bulletin. The first one is this, verses 31 through 34. No accusation stands up. No accusation stands up. The first implication of the risen Jesus relates to something inside of us, our sin. Specifically, the sin that we still struggle with as Christians. The sin that we see every day. Paul knows that we feel accused about the fact that we still sin even though we love Christ, that we still fall to temptation even though the Spirit lives in us. Our own hearts accuse us because we live with ourselves constantly. Our thoughts and our motives, they're obscure to everyone else. But we know the truth. We see the discrepancy between what we know to be true and how we actually act. Every day, we fail to do things that God commands his people to do. And every day, we do things that God forbids his people to do. We mess up. Sometimes it's really bad. The consequences are enormous. Many times we know the right thing to do and we still fail to do it. It's exactly what Paul was talking about in chapter seven of this book. We begin to worry that there's some kind of accusation that we're guilty that, we're, that we actually are under God's condemnation, that we don't belong to him, and that in and, and the final tally, God is going to reject us. And then the evil one gets in on the act. Satan is his name. Satan, it says, this is a Hebrew word. Do you know what it means? It means accuser. He loves to point out our failures, our insecurities, our struggles, he loves it when we compare ourselves with other people and tell ourselves that we don't measure up. His strategy, church, is to get us to hide from God in fear, just like our first parents. And his other strategy is to get us to withdraw from the fellowship of the church, from the people of God, so that we're alone. Now, how does the resurrection impact these accusations. This is Paul's answer. Look again with me at verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. No accusation can stand up because Jesus is our intercessor. If you belong to him by repentance and faith, he is interceding for you right now. Now what does it mean that Jesus is, is interceding for us? 
Some of you in here might have done your own taxes from time to time. And if you've done that, you've probably used TurboTax. I myself have used it. If you've used it before, you know that by the end of it, it usually follows a little bit of a routine. At least it did when I used it. You finish everything, and it shows you this cheesy little, uh, you know, meter thing. It's like a little speedometer. It goes from green to red. And the needle is over here in the green, usually. And it says, oh, you're fine. You're, this is your audit risk, by the way. Your audit risk. It's in the green. Everything's fine. Relax. But then just a few minutes later, as you're going through the process, it says, you know, every year, thousands of people get audited by the IRS. And you're thinking, well, I thought you just told me the risk was very low. And now they're offering you um, advocacy. They say, if the IRS comes knocking at your door, if you pay us a little bit of money now, we will be there with you. We'll be your advocate, right? You know what I'm talking about? Um, I don't really know what this entails, but I've always said no to this question. I've said no thank you. Maybe it's because I'm a cheapskate and I just want to save the, the 40 or 50 bucks. Um, but really, the reason why I say no is because I think, well, how can you defend me? I did my, no, I did my own taxes. What are you going to say in that moment? I'm the one who did the taxes, right? I picture myself in front of some mean IRS agent with some kind of TurboTax representative beside me saying to the TurboTax representative, your client, Mr. Passmore, uh, it seems here he, he bought a $5,000 guitar and then claimed it as a church expense. <laughs> and I picture the IRS, the, um, the, the, you know, Mr., Mr. and Mrs. TurboTax turning to me and saying, you did what? <laughs> Why'd you do that? I don't know why he did that. You, you, really, you shouldn't have done that. That was really far above the, 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 the line there. What is, what is Mr. and Mrs. TurboTax going to say in that moment to the IRS agent? I did my own taxes. It was my work. How can they defend me from my own work? Friends, Jesus' ministry of intercession is far better. It's infinitely superior because it is not based on your work. It is based on his work. His work, his one-time sacrifice for sin is all that is needed to atone for sin. He did the work. He did the work on the cross. He did the work rising from the grave. And now his presence at the right hand of God is all that we need for full forgiveness and salvation now and forever. Hebrews 7.25 says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Your past sins are covered if you are in Christ. Your present sins are covered. Your future sins are covered. Your sins that you don't even know about yet are covered. This is good news indeed. As you grow as a disciple of Christ, the Spirit will show you more of your sin. Those of you who have been following Christ for a while know this to be true. It's kind of like this. If you were to go outside on a clear day and look up at the sky and try to predict how many planes are in the sky, you would probably get the number wrong. You would probably say there's no planes or maybe there's one plane. It's because of your vantage point on the ground. But if you were to look at radar, you, were to, you would see that at any given day, especially on weekdays, there's as many as 14,000 aircraft up in the sky around the globe. 14,000. You would be way off if you just looked from the ground and tried to predict that number. 
The Spirit is like that radar, showing us our own sin, showing us ourselves. And sometimes the truth about ourselves is pretty ugly, isn't it? Church, when the Spirit shows this to you, shows you your greater need of forgiveness, the greater need for grace and for growth in your life, don't give in to the tendency to deny it. Don't deny what the Spirit is showing you. That is spiritual activity happening in you. It's a supernatural grace that you would see your sin. That's the Spirit working in you. And if you are in Christ, you have an advocate. Don't deny it. Confess, repent, ask God to help you change, and don't despair. Don't despair. Your Savior already knew about those things before you did. He saw the extent and the ugliness of your sin, and he saved you anyway. His mind will never change, his sacrifice will never change, and his advocacy for you will never change. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now one last thing about this point before I move on. The intercession of Jesus does not mean that the Father is grumpy and temperamental, about to fly off the handle, and Jesus is just there to placate him. Don't think that, it's not true, it's not true. The work of salvation and redemption is a triune work. Every member of the Trinity is involved. Every member of the Trinity is completely bought in. Verse 32, look again. He who did not spare his own son, that's the Father, but gave him up for us all, how will he, the Father, not also with him graciously give us all things? The Father is united in purpose with the Son. He will graciously, not stingily, not reluctantly, give us all things. All things, that's not a new house, that's not a Tesla. The all things that is being talked about here is everything needed for you to grow in Christ. Everything needed for you to endure, everything that is needed for you to reach glory. He will graciously give those things to you in Christ. And to prove it, he's already given you the Holy Spirit, living in you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together for your complete salvation. If you belong to Christ, the basis of your acceptance is not how well you are doing. It is based on Jesus, your Savior, who is interceding for you on the merits of his complete and sufficient sacrifice for sin. No accusation can stand up against you and separate you from God's redeeming love. It is God who justifies, and that verb here is present tense. In this passage, God who justifies, present tense, and you are counted righteous through your faith in Christ. Now, if that weren't good enough, Paul's not done yet. There's a few more verses here. Verses 35 through 39. This is my second point. No affliction stands between. No affliction stands between. The second implication of the risen Jesus relates to something outside of us. The first one related to something inside of us, our sin. The second relates to something outside of us, our sufferings. Paul mentions some ways in which we suffer in this life. He ticks them off in this passage. Tribulation, distress, 
persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and death. Now Paul is not just picking some words out of the dictionary. When Paul wrote this list, he had been through all of these things, except for the last one. And he knew that that would happen to him as well. We live in a fallen world. Sin has infected every person on the earth and the earth itself. We feel the impact all the time. We feel the impact with poverty, war, with natural disasters. We feel the impact with hatred, with discrimination, with abandonment. We feel the impact with abuse, with addiction, with mental illness. We feel the impact with violence and injustice, redlining, bigotry. We feel the impact with classism and sexism and racism. We feel the impact with disease and decay and death. All creation groans under this bondage. I bet there was a part of you that groaned when I was reading that list. Some suffering is due to spiritual warfare. Satan and his minions are trying to do as much damage as possible before their utter destruction, which they know is coming. Some affliction also, Paul says, happens to us specifically because we follow Christ. It's not just about living in a fallen world, it's about following the Savior that leads to some suffering. We should expect to suffer for Christ's sake, That's why he quotes the psalm. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world certainly know this to be true to an extent that we do not in this country. Now, we should not be surprised by suffering and affliction, my friends. You can't read the New Testament and still be surprised by suffering. We live in a fallen world and God has enemies. A servant is not greater than his master. We should not be surprised, but nor should we be anxious or hopeless. Why is that? Look at verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No affliction can stand between you and God's love because the risen Christ is victorious. The verse says, in all these things, not despite all these things. Did you see that? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. In the midst of our sufferings, we are more than conquerors. Now, this phrase, more than conquerors, it's a very unique phrase. What does it mean? Well, here's one way to think about it. This is a military analogy that I I, um, heard from John Piper. I found this to be helpful. If two ancient empires antagonized one another and war erupted. The battles between them would go on and on until one nation was victorious. Sometimes one nation would just totally obliterate the other. You might consider that being a conqueror. But sometimes a nation would be more than a conqueror. This takes the following form. In the ancient world, a victorious king sometimes would stop before they obliterate a whole other nation and they would put that conquered nation into subjection. 
Now, that army would fight his battles. Now, those people would pay taxes to him. They would build his infrastructure. They would send in their harvest to his storehouses and the storehouses of the victorious nation. Their best and brightest would be brought to the cities of the victorious nation. In other words, the energy of the defeated nation is redirected to build up the victorious nation. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. It means the enemy works for you now. Now, you may have heard the Bible verse that for those who love God, all things work together for good. As a matter of fact, that's verse 28 of this chapter, just a few verses before where we started reading today. That is what Paul's talking about here. No matter what suffering you endure, if you belong to Christ, it works for your good. It works for your good, your eternal good, your spiritual good. I want to be clear, this does not mean that wrongdoing and, and wrongdoing and injustice are acceptable. They are not. It does not mean that these things will go unpunished. They will not go unpunished. God will not abide these wrongs forever. And when Christ returns, every sin will be punished, either in Christ at a point in time that's already passed, or those sins that are, that are yet unpunished will be punished. The things that we groan under will be done away with. The bondage that creation is in will be done away with. What it does mean, what more than conquerors does mean, is that Jesus reigns over everything in your life. Everything. He has won the victory. He upholds the universe with the word of his power. Hebrews says, and God has put everything in subjection under his feet. This includes even your afflictions. Not only do they not separate you from his love, he directs them to accomplish his work in you. If you belong to Christ, you can look at every hurt you've ever endured, every suffering, every trial, every affliction, and you can say, you work for me now. The pain and the trauma of a broken home, it works for you now. The wounds of discrimination because of race or gender or class, they work for you now. The physical infirmity you've had since birth, the debilitating illness that you've endured, those things work for you now. If you belong to Christ, lament the sufferings in your life. Cry out to God for strength and healing. Look forward to your release from that bondage, but remember, they do not have victory over you. No affliction can stand between you and God's love, and I tell you the truth, God himself is personally directing them to accomplish your eternal good. Nothing can stop his saving purposes. Death cannot. Life cannot. Angels and demons can't do it. The present can't stop him. The future can't stop him. There is no power greater than him. Nothing in all creation, above, below, far, or wide, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Now some of you are hearing what I'm saying and you're thinking, but pastor, what about this situation in my life that I'm grieved over? What about the situation in my loved one's life that is so tragic and heartbreaking? 
What about these news reports about this tragedy and that injustice? How can those afflictions possibly accomplish any good at all? I can't give you the details of God's plan. I can't lay out the blueprints. Sometimes out of my desire to care for people, I try to or I want to, but I can't. I can't unpack the deep mysteries of God's actions and his will, but I can do something better. I can point you to the cross of Christ. Think about this, how did Jesus get to where he is now? How did he become the savior? How did he come to be the intercessor for sinful people like you and me? How did he come to be the exalted one who reigns over all things? He got there through an unjust trial. He got there through undeserved beatings. He got there through a sacrificial death on the cross. Punished for sin, though he had done no wrong, so that sinners like you and me could receive forgiveness and life and righteousness and glory. There is no greater example of God directing evil to accomplish good than the cross of Christ. And now, Christ is alive, our forerunner into glory. He intercedes for anyone who comes to him in repentance and faith, and he directs all things for their eternal and their spiritual good. If you are not a Christian and you're hearing my voice, I tell you the truth, Apart from Christ, you can find no absolution for your sins. Apart from Christ, you can find no greater meaning for your suffering. Come to him today in repentance and faith. Come to him and find what you've been looking for, the life that you were meant for. Come to Jesus in repentance and faith and enjoy God instead of fearing him. If you're hearing my voice and you are a Christian today, Boast today in your Savior. Because Jesus rose, no accusation stands up, no affliction stands between, nothing, no nothing can separate us from God's redeeming love. Lord, let it be. Pray with me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we know the truth that you are working redemption in the world and in people. Lord, we are beyond grateful for the work that you're doing. Help your grace be amazing to us today. Remind us of who we are in Christ. Lord, help us to live in light of these truths of Roman 8, that no accusation stands up and no affliction will stand between. These things are true, Lord, but we need your Spirit's help and work in our hearts so that we can live in light of these truths. Lead us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.